Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Mary Martha Green. She is a South Carolina native and government relations consultant who perfected her entertaining skills for making friends and engaging clients during her 40-year career. Now as a volunteer, she teaches cooking skills to at-risk and homeless youth and is the author of The Cheese Biscuit Queen Tells All, Southern Recipes, Sweet Remembrances, and A Little Rambunctious Behavior, which has been published recently by the University of South Carolina Press. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Curtis. I'm glad to be with y'all today. Great to have you here, even though we're virtual. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and also a little bit about the Cheese Biscuit Queen Tells All, and we'll, we'll get into all the, the discussion about it. Well, I grew up in the big city of Beaufort, South Carolina. My dad was the, one of the first family court judges in the state of South Carolina. So I, when I went home for Christmas break my freshman year, I was uh, not asked that I want to be a page, but told I wanted to be a page. So I, that started a 40-year career at the State House. I worked for Dick Riley, his second term as governor, uh, helped with the Education Improvement Act. And then after he left office, I went into K-12 education and worked with um, the South Carolina Education Association for 20 years as their director of government relations. So the Cheese Biscuit Queen Tells All is um, a book I started writing in family stories, state house stories, um, a little bit of South Carolina history, a little bit of Beaufort history, uh, kind of all rolled into one with recipes to go along with it. You know, Pat Conroy said a, a story is a, a recipe is a story that ends in a good meal. So I think that kind of sums up the cheese biscuit queen tells all. That's very true. And and you've got, you're in the area of Pat Conroy down there in Beaufort. So that's, uh, that's where all of his writing is a lot of his writings about. Um, so tell us a little bit about the how the, the initial idea for the book came about. A lot of times people who, you know, they say for years they're going to write a book or, or, you know, they have the notes and everything. How, what was your initial, what was the initial thing that made you say, okay, I'm sitting down and doing this? Well, I was one of those people that was always going to write a book. And I even, when I was cleaning out recipes, I even found some articles I'd clipped from the late 2000s about combining family stories and recipes. But what sort of made me come off the dime and start doing it, uh, one of my godchildren uh, was getting ready to go on her semester at sea. We're all Gamecocks, but she upped and went to Clemson. And uh, second semester of her junior year, she was doing a a round-the-world cruise that she boondoggled her parents into paying for, otherwise known as a semester at sea. And we were in my kitchen, and she said, asked me when she got back, would I teach her how to cook? And I I said I would, and I'd start compiling the recipes. And the word cookbook might have even come out of my mouth, but uh, she'd been gone a couple months, and um, she's not a child that you make a promise to and not fulfill it. So about the time she was due back, I really sort of started getting serious about writing down the recipes and trying to make them to where it it was like we were in the kitchen together. And and if there were little things, little details that I knew my family did that weren't written in the recipe, I tried to uh, enumerate those in the recipe. And then as I was doing it, the stories just sort of started coming out. I'd say, you know, Aunt Mimi did so-and-so or I've always been real close to my godchildren's family. So I'd say, well, you know, your grandmother would do this with her lemon pound cake or whatever. So it really grew out of 
love for my godchild. And I, I really thought it would just be something I'd give to, I have t- two real godchildren, two, they both have siblings that I claim as my godchildren also. And, and, you know, and then I've got younger generations of cousins and I really thought it would be something I'd just pass along to them. And then I, I found the, when I pulled out the mother load of recipes at the house in Beaufort and I posted a picture on Facebook, a lot of friends that had remembered eating those meals at my family's home and from my grandmother and mother and aunt said, well, ooh, would you, if you do it, would you share it with us? And so it kind of took on a bigger, broader audience. And, and um, once I got it finished, then USC Press was interested in it. So it just kind of really just grew from, from a promise I made to my goddaughter uh, sitting at my kitchen counter. So that's great. That's a great story. And one of the things I wanted to ask specifically, because when I was looking at the cover of the book and the cheese biscuits, now, you know, I'm, I'm half Southern, so I know, know a lot about Southern food, but to me, they, they look more like what I referred to as cheese straws, but they're just flat and round. So is it a biscuit consistency or is it more of a cheese straw consistency? Well, it's, it's cheese straws with a little extra, you know, cheese straws, um, come, you, you mix up the, um, batter, I guess, or, or mix all the ingredients together and then you push them through a cookie press. Um, these you mix in the mender mixer. These actually have Rice Krispies in them. So they wouldn't go real well through a cookie press. Um, but I actually use, I was, I did cookbooks with Virginia last week and one of her five rapid fire questions was what's your most indispensable cooking tool? And for me, it would be cookie scoops because I use a small cookie scoop, scoop them on the um, baking sheets. That way they're all sort of the same size. They all cook evenly. And so it's really, it's not a biscuit like you'd have, you know, at, at breakfast with country ham in them. Although when my cousins come to the house in Beaufort, the little ones, they do think, they're supposed to have bacon eggs and a little cheese biscuit on the side, but it, it's more of a cheese wafer, I guess, technically, but Mimi just always called them cheese biscuits. So um, that's why we call them cheese biscuits. And she, you know, it's a recipe that was widely passed around in the late fifties, early sixties, but I think Mimi just had little tricks of the trade that she used, like really creaming the I use half butter, half margarine. She she was a child of the depression and used all margarine and cream in that butter and margarine and cheese together good to make it really light and fluffy. And um, and then just she'd put her she'd put them on um, paper towels to absorb the grease. So that just keeps them really light and fluffy. So, you know, it's a commonly available recipe, but she just had all her little tricks that we tried to capture to make sure that they were as light and fluffy as hers. Well, that is one really important key, and I'm sure you learned this doing a cookbook, is technique, because, you know, so much is about technique, and and if, if you don't do it just right, you're not going to get the same consistency. So another thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking of cheese straws and cheese biscuits, and that's the other thing that you normally see at a Christmas or Thanksgiving function, is what goes along with that are the sausage balls. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming I didn't, I didn't see one, but I'm assuming, is there a recipe for sausage balls in there? There's not one for sausage balls, but there is one for sausage muffins, which is just a look, they're just a little bit lighter than your traditional sausage ball, but it's kind of got the same ingredients. It's got 
the bisquick and the cheese and the sausage and it 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 ups the game a little bit with some green onions and they're just I think of those sausage balls as kind of being like almost rock like you know or not real fluffy and the sausage muffins that are in the cookbook are real light and lighter uh, if not calorie wise, consistency wise. And um, so there is a pseudo sausage ball recipe in the book under under bre- baking, breakfast baking. Great. So I'll, I'll definitely have to look that up because that that would be wonderful with those cheese biscuits. So um, tell our listeners a little bit about your writing style and and how did you go about, you know, blocking everything out for this kind of a book? Well, I think in this book, my my writing style is very conversational. I very much wanted this to feel like, you know, we were sitting down at the kitchen table, trading recipes, telling stories, um, you know, and, and it's very much directed at at novice, if not novice cooks, at least not very experienced cooks. Uh, and I also, with writing the recipes, tried to make sure that um, that I was very specific in terms of the directions to do it. Um, my mother was a home ec major in, at Winthrop. I taught home ec for a year or two before she and my dad married. And so, you know, my, one of the recipes was for my Aunt Lou's famous chocolate rolls from Newberry, South Carolina. And, and when I found mama's recipe, um, you know, the recipe that I found was maybe on a little shred of paper about an inch and a half long. And it was, you know, do this, do that, throw it all in the oven, and then ice it with an uncooked chocolate icing that didn't even have the what an uncooked chocolate icing was. So I just assumed in my mother's head, she knew what an uncooked chocolate icing was. Well, I didn't know what that was. So I went through and made Aunt Lou's chocolate roll step-by-step, wrote it down, you know, so you would know to beat the egg whites or how to beat the cream. And then I researched and found a recipe for an uncooked chocolate icing uh, and then Aunt Lou always rolled her chocolate rolls and toasted pecans because they had a big pecan orchard behind their house in Newberry. And so I, then I had to write down how to, I wanted the directions in there to, you know, how to actually toast the pecans. So I tried to make sure it was conversational in terms of the stories, but also very detailed in terms of the recipes. And I knew I had succeeded when one of my cousins why next generation cousins down from me, his wife was looking at the book and she absolutely does not cook. And she looked at it and she said, hmm, I think I could do that. <laughs> so um, I, that was kind of how I knew I had succeeded with, with the step-by-step instructions. That's great. Yeah. Like I said, so much is on technique that you just got to have. And that's another thing for people who are, you know, going to purchase this book and, and look through it is, you know, to be sure and follow those techniques, you know, to the letter. You, you eventually get your own technique on stuff, but but being able to replicate something, um, you really have to follow that. So um, one of the things I always find interesting about uh, authors and their books and um, thinking about this, the stories that make you write the book is how did you come up with the title sometimes the author comes up with the title sometimes the publisher comes up with the title but the fact that you know you've got the the cheese biscuit queen in there is that what your aunt Mimi went by or is that something you made up so how did the the title come about that's a title I gave her I mean nobody ever called her that in her lifetime although she was it was a family joke and there's a story in the book um, that she looked like Queen Elizabeth 
um, Queen Elizabeth II, the current Queen Elizabeth, uh, to the point that we were in her 80th birthday. She wanted to go to Alaska and we stopped in Victoria, British Columbia uh, and spent the night at the Empress Hotel because she and my mother had been there many years before and had tea. And that was kind of on her bucket list for going if we were going to be in the vicinity of Victoria, Canada, she wanted to go back. So we were walking to dinner one night along the Inner Harbor and the street performer in full Elizabethan garb comes up and just bows down before her like saw Walter Raleigh and is like, my queen, my queen. And Mimi thinks we're about to get mugged. And I'm like, he thinks you look like Queen Elizabeth. And she goes, oh, I do not. So it had always, Mimi wasn't necessarily the cheese biscuit queen during her lifetime, although that was she was, and people just didn't call her that, but it was a family joke uh, that she looks like Queen Elizabeth. And there actually is a picture of she and my Aunt Mary and my grandmother in the book when they were all dressed up for one of my cousin's weddings. And she she looks very queenly with her first stole. All she was missing was a tiara. She's got on her first stole and her white gloves and her silk potassois dress. And um, so she, she was looking very queenly. And and then the tell-all part, you know, that's just some of my friends in Columbia are real nervous about the tell-all part, but I told them that the, the cheese biscuit queen tails most just didn't quite have the same ring or appeal to it. So so that's kind of how the, the title came about was Aunt Mimi's queenly persona and the family joke and then um, just just a tell-all book. And there's some tell-all stories in it. So Well, um, one of the things I immediately thought about, because when you're talking about, you know, friends and family and you're referring to some of them in the book is, have you had any family members that have gotten upset or said you got this wrong or you need to follow up with such and such? Well, my mom and aunt, I don't know that I could have written this book um, if they were still alive, quite frankly. Uh, and one of the, one of my aunts, she really wasn't an aunt, she was my mother's cousins. There was kind of a funny story about her and the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal. Um, but she had unfortunately been suffering with dementia for several years. Uh, and then she passed away before the, right before the book came out. So um, I, I've got a couple of cousins I hadn't heard from yet since they, they got their copies, but you know, but this is my, these are my recollections uh, of how stories went. Um, so if they want to, they want to tell something different, they can write their own recollections. Um, I have gotten several sweet uh, notes from people just saying, you know, thank you for including this family member who was in the book or somebody that had passed away. Um, and then I've gotten several that said, you know, my, I just lost my mom and my friend gave me this book and it's been very healing or comforting to me and made me remember, um, you know, some of our family stories. So, and I hope it will inspire people to write down their, not only their family recipes, but their family stories and to be able to preserve those and pass them along to, to their families. And that is important. We've got a, a, an old family cookbook at home that, that we look up stuff every once in a while. And, you know, there's one thing that is, uh, and I forget which family member did it, but it's the, uh, frozen fruit salads. And I'll tell you, they're the best thing in every summer. That's what you always crave, you know. <laughs> um, well, let's move on to uh, hearing something specifically from, from the book. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, maybe kind of uh, read and talk about an excerpt that uh, you're interested in sharing with our listeners. Well, this is about one of the most notorious statehouse incidents that happened during 
uh, my time of lobbying. And um, it was about when Mark Sanford brought the pigs uh, to the state house. Uh, and just to give a little background, the, the person Cooper or Dan Cooper, who I refer to in the story, uh, was chairman of Ways and Means at the time. And he and Governor Sanford were sort of in a pitch battle. And this story goes along with Cooper's recipe for his brisket that he cooks in the smoker. So it's appropriate that this recipe involves smoke and fire because one of the legendary Cooper stories from the state house involved his two-year battle with then governor Mark, quote, hike the Appalachian Trail Sanford over a fire truck for Cooper's district. Cooper was the chairman of House Ways and Means at the time, and he included funding for a ladder truck in the budget for his district. Governor Sanford went on a tear about pork barrel projects in the budget, going so far as to bring two piglets named Pork and Barrel to the second floor of the state house during the waning days of the legislative session to highlight his cause. The highlights soon turned to the lowlights when the pigs defecated all over the governor's blazer, pants, and shoes, as well as the carpet of the recently renovated state house. The General Assembly found the whole thing to be extremely distasteful, both to the institution of the legislative branch and to the stature of the state house and it greatly damaged the already rocky relationship between the governor and the legislature. Meanwhile, back in the budget, Cooper's fire truck was safely tucked away, or so he thought. Sanford couldn't use his line item veto to get to the fire truck because neither he nor anyone on his staff could find it. So instead, the governor attempted to create a whole new category of veto by describing it in his veto message as, quote, fiscal gimmickry. The House didn't buy his gimmickry and promptly overrode the veto. Once again, the fire truck was safe until the governor threatened to fire the head of the agency whose budget contained the funding for the fire truck if he wrote the check for it. Cooper, being a good person, didn't want that to happen, so he relented, and there was no fire truck, at least not yet. The next year, Cooper put the fire truck in the budget of a constitutional officer, someone the governor couldn't threaten, and another line item that the governor couldn't find to veto. In the end, Cooper got his shiny new fire truck, which saved lives and an apartment fire in his district less than a year later. Governor Sanford went on to infamy for hiking the Appalachian Trail or not, and later confessed to Joe Scarborough on MSNBC that pork and barrel ended up getting barbecued later that summer. Oh, that, that makes me feel bad for the little piglets. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I... I you know, it, they probably got the best of it because then they didn't have to deal with any of the ramifications <laughs> of everything that else that happened. So it, that was um, kind of the nexus for a, a lot of things that started happening at the state house. So, um, but it's, you know, legislative stories, um, kind of the rest of the story as Paul Harvey used to say. So Exactly. Well, I had my microphone muted during uh, your reading, but I let out a few good big old laughs during <laughs> Uh, so, um, speaking of, of stories, uh, one of the things I always like to ask, since this is Library Voices, South Carolina, is do you have any kind of library story you could share? And this could be something from childhood or something about uh, while you were writing the book or, or anything. Well, my, my childhood memory of libraries is that in the, this will tell you how old I am, in, Buford, in Battery Creek Elementary School, the library was the only place that was air conditioned when we were uh, in, you know, first through sixth grade. So that was always a, a treat to get to go to the library where the um, air conditioning was. And my adult uh, library story was that in the late 90s, I was on actually on the 
foundation board for the South Carolina State Library, and we would raise money for summer reading projects. And um, while the SCEA had a small foundation and could make a contribution, I also would hit up all my lobbyist buddies who represented big corporations. That was kind of my role on the foundation was hitting up all my fellow lobbyists to get them to get their big corporate uh, folks who did business in South Carolina to donate. And all the money went to summer reading projects. So I always felt like that was a, a good thing to be involved with. So that's my, those are my two favorite library memories. Well, I just had a visual as you were talking about that is, you know, I, I wonder if any of your interactions ever led to a, one of those photo ops where you see a politician reading to a bunch of children. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it did. Uh, we would, you know, since, since there were lobbyists involved when money went to, um, I guess it was Progress Energy then. It was, it was probably about the time they were merging into Duke Energy. And they were always very generous just because so much of what they call the quarter of shame was also in their service area. And they were really trying to make an effort to um, help with education in that area. So I'm sure in Dillon, Marlboro, little places we could get coverage in small town newspapers, I'm sure there were some of those photo ops. Definitely. Um, so as we wrap up our, our conversation, um, do you have any other kind of projects or events coming up you'd like to mention? Well, I've got a bunch of events coming up to promote the book. I'm going to be in Camden next Thursday afternoon, June 3rd at Books on Broad from 5 to 7. I'm going to be at our beautiful South Carolina State Museum on Saturday, uh, June the 12th, and the Cotton Mill Exchange from 2 to 4. I'll be at Uptown on Main right there by the State House on um, Tuesday, June the 15th from 1130 to 2.30. So come out and have a cheese biscuit or two at lunch and then for upstate folks, I'm doing a luncheon um, and we'll be telling some of the stories uh, with fiction addiction at the Poinsett Club on June 16th. And there um, you can get ticket. That's the only ticketed event of all of those. But you can look on my website or fiction addictions website um, and buy tickets for that at the Poinsett Club. And at all the book launches I've had and signings, I've had a plate of cheese biscuits. So if you want to taste the cheese biscuits, even if you don't want to get a book, come out and taste the cheese biscuit and come see me. So those those are pretty much what I've got coming up. And I'm already making notes. People have said, well, you didn't tell the so-and-so story. So, or you didn't put your mama's so-and-so recipe in there. So I've already started making a list. If, if hopefully, fingers crossed, there might be a, a sequel to the, the Cheese Biscuit Queen Tells More, I guess. So. Well, it sounds wonderful. And it sounds like you've got a lot of great opportunities coming up to promote your book. And uh, we also have a link to the University of South Carolina Press uh, webpage that uh, folks can go online and buy your book. And also we will have a link to thecheesebiscuitqueen.com so that folks can look at all of those great upcoming events and projects you've got going on. So thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me, Curtis. This has been great fun. I appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.